This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 388. This podcast is brought to you by MetPro. Speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps toward achieving your goal. Whether that is to lose weight or to change your body composition, go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their coaching. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Tracker. Created by leading scientists, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where it's all about empowering you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with two-time Olympian Molly Huddle and two-time NCAA champion and cross-country coach Sarah Slattery about what they learned from interviewing 50 of the top female distance runners. Plus, we'll give you a rundown of our travels in Europe and give you a quick recap of a half-marathon relay we did in Hungary. Lots of good stuff. And of course, to get all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more, connect with us and our awesome online community with Academy membership. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So you might have heard on our last episode, we came to Europe kind of during a heat wave. Uh, We're up in the mountains now in Italy where it's perfect. (laughs) But I'm sure, Angie, any heat that we've dealt with is nothing to be compared with the Badwater 135, which takes place in the hottest, I guess the hottest place on earth, Death Valley, and it's billed as the toughest foot race on earth. This is definitely one race that I have no interest in ever ever running because (laughs) (laughs) I am notoriously a baby in hot weather. Me too. But it recently finished up. For the men's side of things, the winner was Yoshihiko Isakawa, and he came back and won a second time. His finishing time overall was 23 hours, 8 minutes, and 20 seconds. And on the women's side of things, Ashley Paulson came in third overall and was the first female. It was her first ever Badwater, and she finished in 24 hours, 9 minutes, and 34 seconds. And I thought another interesting finisher was a guy named Bob Becker. He is 77 years old. He became the oldest person to complete the course. Now, he did not make the official cutoff time, which is 60 hours. But on the Badwater Facebook page, they said he is still a champion in their eyes. But if you see videos of Bob Becker in the last few miles, I mean, he is literally bent over at the waist. Yeah, It just looks so painful. And, you know, just to complete something like that at age 77 is really astounding. Yeah, definitely. Always inspiring. Like Angie said, we have no plans to do the bad water (laughs) 135 foot race, but mad respect to all of those athletes that do. It's always fun to see the very unique stories and inspiring stories to come out of bad water every year. We'd like to give some shout outs to folks in our community uh, before we jump into our interview today with Molly and Sarah. Angie, what do you have for us? We'd like to say congratulations to Trisha, who is in the social distancing run group. She finished the June Lake Triathlon and got a podium finish by taking second place in her age group. 
And this comes from Joe. She says, I live in Melbourne, Australia. And last Sunday, I finally, after three years of training because of lockdowns, got to fly to Queensland to participate in the Gold Coast Marathon. It was brilliant. And I came away with a personal best. Spectators line the streets from start to finish. For such an individual sport, my running friends make all the difference. If you ever get to Australia, I highly recommend this event. And finally, we got a nice email from a coaching client named Crystal. She says, in November of 2020, while I was training for my marathon, I had work-related injuries that resulted in knee, hip, and glute tears. Having never experienced physical injuries, not only was their physical pain challenging to navigate through, but there was also the loss of the marathon I planned to do. In the midst of my recovery, my poppy, or dad, had his unexpected home going to heaven in 2021, which has been my biggest loss. I was determined to get better to run a marathon in his honor and for an important cause. On June 28th, I ran the Brave Hearts Marathon in South Australia in honor of my poppy. Brave Hearts is an important organization that educates and provides counseling to children and young people who have experienced child sexual abuse, which is very important to me since I'm a kindergarten teacher. One of the most valuable lessons for me in my marathon training is that life is brutally fragile and beautifully redemptive. I am grateful to MTA for the incredible and informative podcasts. During the marathon, I held the beautiful affirmation shared on the podcast, as long as I'm going, I'm growing. She says, also thanks to MTA coach Athena that conjured in me the courage through my training to show up for myself and take it one step at a time. Living with chronic pain can feel really big and unforgiving at times. The beautiful thing about the running community is we all have our battles and we choose to wake up each day to run, serve, and support those around us. Noticing the contrast in life experiences can feel uncomfortable at times, but can build in us more empathy and understanding towards others. I've experienced this through the MTA podcast and coaching. Even in the midst of our valleys, taking half a step forward each day keeps us moving through to the other side. In the process, we are filled with more resilience, empathy, compassion, and strength. And that comes from Crystal. I just find it really inspiring how Crystal has held on to her goal of completing a marathon and has not let serious physical injury or the loss of her father um, to stop her. And it sounds like through the whole process, she's not only built a lot of physical strength to overcome, but also just a lot of emotional and mental strength to go the distance in spite of things not being perfect. Yeah. So thank you so much, Crystal, for sharing your story with us and keep moving forward. Just a quick rundown from our road trip here in Europe before we jump into today's interview. After the Mountain Blanc Marathon, which I'm sure all of you have listened to the race recap by now, right? <laughs> Beautiful marathon I did in the French Alps. I'm trying to run a marathon in every Alpine country. But anyway, after our time in France, we went to one of my favorite places to go, Switzerland, to Interlaken. And that's where I did a marathon a couple of years ago called the Jungfrau Marathon and just fell in love with Interlaken and especially the Lauterbrunnen Valley. So I wanted Angie and the kids to see it. We went there and uh, I had an opportunity to do a hike. Not really a hike. It's more like, a, I don't know what you would call it. It's Traverse. A traverse. There you go. <laughs> It's called the Via Ferrata, the Iron Way, and you basically go across the face of the mountain and you're clipped in and you're going on these metal spikes that have been hammered 
into the side of the, the cliff. And Angie decided not to go on this excursion. Well, one of the requirements was no fear of heights. <laughs> and I have a fairly extreme fear of heights. In fact, sometimes I get sick on like cable cars. So it was a no-go for me. Yeah, in fact, just to get up to Murin, where this hike was and back down, you got sick on that ride. And I started feeling nauseous watching your videos of the hike. So... <laughs> It is just a amazingly beautiful, and uh, yeah, it's way up there. Check out the video if you haven't seen it on our Instagram or on Facebook at Marathon Academy. We were kind of in a hurry to get to Hungary because we were signed up for a relay race. Uh, it's called the Lake Tizza Ultra. We were supposed to run around this lake and uh, on a four-man team, so we each have about 20 miles to do. So that was the plan, but even the best laid plans sometimes go awry, right, Angie? <laughs> It kind of felt like even getting to Hungary that we were just being hindered. So we can we can tell you about that later. But yes, it was challenging. We will tell you what happened and uh, why Angie did not end up running in the relay. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear the rest of that story. While we're in Hungary, we spent some time in Budapest, did a, a walking tour around the city, really beautiful. Then we went to Bratislava, where we did another walking tour. Angie, what did you think of Bratislava? Bratislava was very fascinating. It's kind of like a hidden gem. I really had no idea it was there. I mean, I guess because Slovakia and the Czech Republic for many years were one country, Czechoslovakia. Um, But there's just quite a rich history from that area that we got to hear about and just beautiful architecture too. And we went on some beautiful morning runs there and in Vienna. Which I drug you out for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was all because of that Lake Tiza Ultra relay. That's because, uh, you know, I was, I felt like I had enough running for it last me a while. Like a week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will say that you have done way more um, endurance events this summer than I have. Yes. But I've probably run more miles than you have, so. Does that include all the driving I've done? That's like an endurance event. No. If your butt's in a chair, it doesn't count as endurance sport. <laughs> so after Vienna, we drove to... Bavaria. We were south of Munich for a couple days and we got to go into the city. We met with my friends Andy and Franzi who live in Munich and uh, have hosted me there before and had never met Angie in person. They're listeners of the podcast. So Angie, they finally got to meet you. Yes, it was great. Great to meet them in person. Uh, I'd heard a lot about them through you. So yeah, it was great to make that connection. Then we started heading south. We've got to eventually make our way back to Madrid, but we are now in Sud Tirol in northern Italy, right here at the same place I came to last year to run the Sud Tirol Sky Marathon. Been quite surreal for me to come back. I didn't know that I'd have the privilege to come back so soon, but uh, to come back to a place where I did a marathon, and yesterday we went out on a nine-mile hike, <laughs> starting up high you know, in this little town above Bozen, and then hiking down to Bozen and then taking the cable car back. So I told you and the kids, like, this will be all downhill. (laughs) Several times during the hike, I made sure everyone knew that I had to run this uphill when I was here last. Yes, you kept reminiscing about (laughs) how difficult it was. I don't think the kids were impressed with the difficulty that you endured. They were just too focused on the difficulty they were enduring on the downhill. And it was a very hot day. I mean, we were kind of baking in the sun a lot. So when they would complain, I would say, hey, at least you're not having to do it uphill. That's right. One of our MTA members um, in the group, Stephanie, made a comment that one's enjoyment of a hike is mostly dependent upon your children's attitude. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Yeah, they're all hiked out now. I mean, today, and they're like, no hikes, please, no more hikes. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we might have to ditch him and go for a hike ourselves. But nine miles is pretty far for kids that are not big into hiking. Yeah, and it did take, you know, a good three and a half hours. And it was in the sun. So, yeah, it was not an easy thing. And what was your run like this morning? Oh, it was amazing. I almost didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, how do people who live in such a beautiful area just go about their normal lives? Yeah. Like everywhere you turn, it's so gorgeous. And there are just really some amazing trails around here. So yeah, it was it was great. And I look forward to getting in another one tomorrow morning before we have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking out our window right now at our Airbnb, and we just got this amazing view on the Dolomites. So yeah, epic place to run. Definitely recommend coming to Sud Tirol in the Bozen area, Sterzin, Brixen. So Angie, we've been on the road now for exactly a month. Yes, we have. And you've been away from the comforts of home. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it feels like forever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important, I guess, when you travel to stay in a routine, heads up, an ad is coming for Athletic Greens. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Because that's one thing that we do to stay in a routine is we take these Athletic Greens travel packs with us on the road. That's right. One tasty scoop of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. Honestly, like some days, like we've been traveling and pickings have been slim as far as restaurants and grocery stores. I'm so thankful to have Athletic Greens along just to fill in those nutritional gaps in my diet. So see why we love it. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. You can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five of these travel packs that we've been talking about with your first purchase. So give AG1 a try. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. All right. So now we want to play a conversation that we recorded before we left home with Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery, authors of the book, How She Did It. And the subtitle of the book is Stories, Advice, and Secrets to Success from 50 Legendary Distance Runners. So Angie, what can we tell people about Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery? Well, Molly is a two-time U.S. Olympian. Um, she competed in London 2012 and Rio 2016. She's also a two-time winner of the New York City Half Marathon. And she finished third at the 2016 New York City Marathon, which was her debut marathon. She has held 10 American records over the years, and she lowered her marathon PR to 226.33 at the London Marathon 2019. And she and her husband recently had their first child. When we were going to do this um, interview, we actually at first thought we'd only be speaking to Sarah because Molly was, you know, fairly newly postpartum. and She had just had a baby like the day before. No, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty recent. It was, yeah, it was within a few weeks. And, you know, there's, it's a big struggle to adjust to life with a newborn um, as they basically take over everything (laughs) in a great way. So yeah, Molly got to jump on the conversation. And it was also a a real privilege to talk to Sarah Slattery. She is a two-time NCAA champion. Um, and she competed in the 5,000 meters and 10,000 meters. In 2007, she won the 10,000 meters at the Pan American Games. She set a games record time. And the following year, she was the USA champion at eight kilometers. And this was something I didn't know. Sarah began racing on the Elliptigo elliptical bicycle, and she won the 2013 Elliptigo World Championships. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't either. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? She's also been the head cross-country coach at Grand Canyon University in Arizona for over seven years, and she is the mother of two children, so a very busy person. All right, so hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's jump into it right now. 
podcast now with Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery, authors of the book, How She Did It. Thank you, ladies, for joining us on the MTA podcast. Let's start with how did the book come to be? Like what inspired you guys to write How She Did It? Do you want to start, Molly? Uh, Sure, Sarah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thanks for having us, Trevor and Angie. Um, Yeah, we were talking a couple of years ago when I was down in Arizona training for the marathon trials where Sarah lives. And she called me up and said, you know, I wish there was a way that we could give young girls in the sport kind of guidance and advice and sort of almost like mentorship through telling stories of some of the women that we know and have raced against and have trained with just about what they did to help them have a thriving career, like a long, healthy career. Um, We just think there's a lot of information and a lot of great uh, stories coming from them. And so many different backgrounds could be represented. So we kind of set to work putting it together. It was something we could do via Zoom. Uh, So when the pandemic hit, it didn't really slow us down. And yeah, it took off from there. We were really lucky that the momentum and the support was behind it from the start. Yeah, I I like how you... um organized it by decade and there's just so many amazing athletes many of them will be familiar names you know Joan Benoit Samuelson Kara Goucher Dina Castor goes on and on so you just mentioned Zoom did you you know talk to every single one of these athletes had it had this uh, come together like that yeah this is Sarah yeah we did all the interviews we did over 80 interviews via Zoom Um, So we recorded all of them. We wanted to include as many as we could. Um, Our publisher condensed that list down to 50 from 80. Um, We didn't see a problem with 80, but they said that uh, that book would be too big. So um, we we tried to put as many as we could in there. So we did 80 interviews. Um, Like Molly said, our idea for the book came right before the pandemic hit. And then during our writing process was during the pandemic. So it actually made it easier to access people because they had a lot more time on their hands. So yeah, we did all of them and we tried to ask similar questions or same questions to almost every every person. More stories would come out um, as you went through the interview, but we wanted to have like a baseline for all of these women on like their background and what the, we want to have similar questions that we we're going to ask each girl. So obviously the, each girl had different ways of getting into the sport and stories along the way. And it made it um, really fun. That was probably the best part of writing this book was hearing all these amazing stories and connecting with these women. And a lot of the girls were some of our friends and some of them we, um, we knew really, really well and had competed with, but didn't know their background and, and some of the struggles that they went through during that time, because like we would only see them at races and a few times during the year and you weren't, you didn't get to hear like the things that they were struggling with. So that was really interesting to like actually connect on that level and hear their stories. That was kind of one of the things that I was thinking of is a lot of times we tend to put out our best selves unless, you know, we're really close to someone. It's harder to get vulnerable. And I do think one positive thing in the sport of running is that people are coming out more with those type of stories, the challenges they faced and things like that. And, you know, I think you guys did a great job in the book of profiling these women's um, achievements, but also, you know, some of the struggles along the way. You know, many of them I was familiar with, but a lot of them um, were new to me. So were there any surprises in some of the responses that you got back from the various women, um, themes that emerged that you, you know, weren't expecting? Go ahead, Miles. 
Yeah, um, we get that question a lot. And there's a variety of things that were surprising. But I think maybe like one story we mention a lot is Hazel Clark mentioning that she had race anxiety that actually never went away despite how good she was and despite how well she performed in high pressure situations. Like, you know, the year the Clark family went one, two, three at the Olympic trials, that was a really high pressure situation for her. And she nailed it. She won that day, but she would tell you that she had to be pushed out onto the track to race. You know, it's just really, you would never guess um, from watching her run. So I think that was very relatable and probably something that an athlete who has that same problem would be um, comforted to read because, you know, it doesn't have to derail your career. And she said she thinks she could have had obviously a lot more fun competing if she was able to talk to someone about it and it wasn't so taboo, which it seems better now with at least people talking about that kind of thing. And as far as themes, like one of the ones we talked about a lot was that these women were really well-rounded athletes uh, as kids. So they participated in a lot of sports and didn't get really serious and structured about their training until sort of later. I mean, maybe late high school at the earliest. It wasn't like most of them were, you know, six to seven years old, specializing the way you would think Tiger Woods would be out there with the golf club at that age. So (laughs) that was kind of a surprising pattern that, that stood out to us. We weren't looking for that, but it was there. One of the things that I was interested in is, well, Trevor and I never ran track or cost country in high school or college. So we kind of came to the sport as adults and we'd never heard of the footlocker curse. Tell us about that because that was kind of something that was really interesting. You know, speaking of like a lot of that pressure and the situations that these young athletes um, can be put under. Yeah, that was a, this is Sarah, that was a big part of um, why we were writing this book. So the footlocker curse is um, there's only um, been two women that have won footlocker and made an Olympic team. Um, There's been um, over a dozen men and the footlocker race has been going on for the same amount of time. And they continue that same pattern with like NCAA championships. Um, So several of the men that were at top level in high school would go on to win championships and the women weren't. And so we're trying to look at like dive in and why, why is this occurring? What are the women facing that men aren't? And why can't they continue to have successful careers at the same rate as the men? And so that's kind of like what we were trying to dive into. And the first part of the book is looking at those things. And we brought in eight experts that wrote different pieces on um, nutrition, sports psychology, physiology, bone health, injury prevention, and looked at all those things. And then the big thing for both of us was like, we could hear all the things that we were supposed to do all the time, but unless we saw that play out in women that were successful, we weren't going to listen to it. And so we wanted to highlight these women that did have long successful careers, like ran into some of these same issues, but were able to tackle those things and get through that and come out the other side and have successful careers. And so we wanted girls to be able to connect with them and see how they were able to navigate those things. Yeah, I think that was a great way to start out the book about, you know, kind of the four keys to being a healthy female runner, um, because I do think there's a lot of pressures out there. And it's easy just to get caught up in thinking that you need to be thinner to compete or get faster or, you know, skipping some of those really important foundational parts of being healthy and having longevity. So maybe, yeah, you can dive into that a little bit more um, about the four keys and how they really kind of set a precedent for, you know, women to have a good career. 
We love giving people keys to stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's definitely a simplified version. You know, Sarah and I wanted to put sort of like the basics. It's not as in-depth as you could go with these areas, mm-hmm. but we wanted at least that groundwork from experts yeah. before we dive into talking to anecdotal evidence and careers from a wide variety of women's lives because so much, you know, one thing works for one person, it might not work for another person, but we wanted the scientists and the experts and the nutritionists and sports psychologists to say, you know, here are the basics for you heading into this. Um, yeah, we tried to touch on the the key areas. So nutrition is a huge one. We, you know, so many of the girls from Foot Locker uh, ended up having either eating disorders or injuries from underfueling that occurred when they were building, you know, you're building a lot of bone in high school. And so if you're not supplying your body with what it needs, it's going to catch up to you in college or after. And that's when you see all those career ending injuries. And so we really want to talk about that bone health, nutrition, sports psychology is a big one. We get a lot of questions from girls about that. I think when I go give a talk, that's one of the top questions, you know, how do you deal with race day nerves? How do you stay calm in a race when it's hurting? Like questions around that topic. And then injury prevention, obviously, is the big one. You know, you get better at distance running sometimes by just stacking healthy years up. You don't even need to change your workouts. So we really wanted to address that, too. Mm. Um, Was that only three? I always forget one. (laughs) So we had physical health and injury prevention, hormonal health, sound nutrition, and then mental health and sports psychology. And we felt like those were like the four pillars in terms of like creating a good foundation for girls to work off of. And those are some of the key things that you face as an athlete when you're coming through the sport. Oh, I think they're really excellent. It's sort of like the legs of a table. Like if any one of these areas is weak or broken, then it's going to destabilize the whole foundation for the runner. And like you were talking about, Molly, how, you know, if you have these things in place, it's going to pay off as you just put in the work. Yeah, that's definitely what we were thinking. And um, we liked how in the book too, like women did have different timelines. You know, you saw some women who had a lot of just like very steady success. Some women came to the sport late and had good success later. Some women were phenoms, had a dip, came back to the sport. So uh, we definitely want to show girls that too, that stay in it and just have faith that if you're, you know, working with people who are trying to help you and experts and taking care of your body, that you'll see your potential in the sport and hopefully you'll be running for, you know, your whole life. That's our goal with the book as well. Yeah, that was one thing that was kind of interesting to me as well Is I mean, I'm sure Sarah, as a coach, you see athletes coming from all different types of high school coaching programs, and they're not probably all equally healthy (laughs) as far as, you know, the coaching they've had before coming to you. You know, what are some of the things that if a girl or even an older runner is looking for a healthy coaching relationship or a healthy team, what are some of the signs that they can look for? Um, to kind of be proactive so that they can, you know, keep their physical and mental health strong. I think definitely like having a coach that has knowledge and that wants to learn and wants to get the most out of the athlete, not just performance wise, but like long-term success. So like they're trying to create a foundation in terms of like slowly building them up in training, not taking huge jumps each year and working on making sure they understand like solid nutrition. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just like getting all the good basics and not being afraid to have conversations about hormonal health and how the period like plays an important role in that. And like, I know a lot of girls get nervous with having male coaches, but when you take away the stigma behind that and like, don't make it awkward, just um, making it a part of like your regular health. It's just something that you need to have every month. And if you're not, it's a sign. Like I, I see women are lucky actually to have that where some of my male athletes that are under fueling don't 
get those same signs. So it's really nice that girls do. Um, so <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, just making that part of the picture and also like enjoying what they're doing, like making sure that yes, we want to win, we want to work hard, we want to do these things, but that you are enjoying the process along the way, because that's what's going to be key for you to be able to make it long term in this sport. Because if you're not enjoying the process early on, most likely it's going to be really, really difficult for you to enjoy it when things start to get more serious in college and then or you want to do it for the rest of your life. It really needs to be something that you and you find fun in. That's the only reason why I do it. (laughs) For the fun. Yes. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. And if it's making you want to run, you should check out the Boulderthon in Boulder, Colorado. We're really honored to be partnering with them. Um, It's a nonprofit race that features a full marathon, a half marathon, a 10K, and a kid's run. And that's going to take place in Boulder, October 9th, 2022. That's right. You can run in the happiest city in America, which is set at the foothills of the Rockies. I think there's something about mountain views that just make people happy. At least it makes me happy. Yeah, the mountains are just so energizing. They are. And the Boulder community is one of the greatest health meccas in the U.S., so a lot of energy. And for the first time in history, it's an epic downtown Boulder finish. So that sounds really exciting. It's a race that is created for runners by runners. And if you use the coupon code MTA20, you can save $20 off the full or half marathon. So go to boulderthon.org. That's boulderthon.org. Use the code MTA20 for 20 bucks off. So I'm wondering, do you guys feel like you made mistakes in retrospect now if you look back at your earlier career as a runner? Things that are highlighted in the book that you wish you'd have done differently? I think so. I think, you know, like Sarah said, this is a book we would have liked when we were younger, partly for some of these guidelines so that there'd be less we'd have to learn on our feet. (laughs) Um, I mean, some of that's always going to happen. But I know for me, probably the two mistakes I made were in high school, I like I didn't get my period until I was injured in college. And so I obviously was under fueling there from lack of knowledge that that was a sign. Um, So that was probably some red S going on for a year or two. And then I did have injuries in college that maybe were linked to that. They were both uh, stress fractures in my feet. And then I'd say after probably through college and after I didn't recover very well, like I kind of undervalued recovery and denied that I was not recovering. So I'd run pretty hard on my off days, you know, overschedule myself things like that, that once I got into a professional group and saw how women much better than me were stacking their day of like training, you know, nap, sit on the couch, train, and, you know, run easy between workouts, run really hard in workouts. I had to see that in action from people better than me to realize, oh, like, I need to do that to get better. So those were kind of my two wake up calls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's excellent. I think the fallacy of thinking that more is better is not always the case if you want to get to that higher level for sure. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Like, I think that was a big part of motivation in writing this as well is not just like the footlocker curse, but like, I think the more knowledge you have and being able to see these things, I was always looking for more. And during our era, there's the Harrier magazine that was basically what you got your results from. Like the internet was just like, they're just putting together Diestat and some of the websites where you could see results quickly. There weren't, there's Runner's World magazine would sometimes, or Track and Field News would sometimes have interviews. And there's a few books, but there weren't any, unlike girls like myself or women running at this in the sport at that time. So I was always wondering like, okay, you see these amazing women, but like, 
how did they get to that point? Were they just like me? Like, were they a young girl, just normal girl in the sport? Or were they always like these machines? And so I think our main goal too, is just so that a lot of these young girls could see that most of the girls, these top professional athletes were just normal girls like them coming through the sport. They played a lot of sports. They had to figure things out along the way. It wasn't like a straight line of progression for them. Like there was bumps in the road and they had to learn through those things how to get to where they wanted to go. Yeah. So I think I totally made all those mistakes and I would have loved to have understood that earlier on. I had quite a few bumps in the road in college and injuries. And so I think that that probably would have helped if I had that knowledge. Well, after interview, 80 elite women you probably had at least one machine that you talked to right one <laughs> one machine slipped in there there's humans under all the machines where you really <laughs> found that out because even the women i thought were machines they had stories and lessons for us and like paula radcliffe She's yeah. got to be a machine. Or like Shalane Flanagan even had to remind us that, you know, she walked during her cross-country race, uh, her first NCAA cross-country championship. <laughs> she was supposed to win. She ended up walking um, and then won the year after. So, And Shalane didn't make Foot Locker. She missed making the team. She was favored to make the Foot Locker team a couple times and win. And she didn't make the team in high school and then yes. dealt with that in college. She really acknowledges the fact that she got help with like some a sports psychologist to like overcome some of the anxiety that she had in those big races to her success as a professional yeah. um, learning how to deal with those things. What do you think the takeaways are from all of your interviews for middle of the pack marathoners, uh, guys and gals who are listening to the podcast? I think the audience when we wrote it was kind of niche. It's a high performance guide for the young female distance runner. But really, I think a lot of people would like to read these stories. You know, maybe you already know sort of the stuff that's in the beginning of the book. Maybe you don't. Maybe that part helps you. But I think just the narratives are interesting and motivating. Yeah. I got motivated when I was hearing some of these women speak just about their career and about their trajectory. And that's probably the biggest thing. And that's something we could all use to get out the door every day. Even if you're not a professional runner, it's still inspiring to hear them, you know, overcome some doubts and some setbacks, just like we all have. And there's a lot of, there's women in here, like mothers, juggling family and understand, like trying to figure out how to handle career with that. And so I think most people can relate to the struggles that, that these women have, even though they're at a high level. And I feel like our four keys to being a healthy female runner, they're really keys to being a healthy runner in general. Like um, yeah. there are some yeah. specifics to women's running, but I gave this book to all of the men on my team. And I see a lot of the same same issues on the, the men that I do the women. And I think um, these pieces are really important to nail as an athlete in general. Did it instantly enhance their admiration for their coach when they saw that their coach had written a book? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Like, I think we, like, I have a good relationship with them anyway, but like. They know how fast, Sarah, they know how fast you are. So they, I think they yeah. already respected you. <laughs> but, um, they, like, I think they were just really excited to read about some of these other awesome women that they've already seen on covers of magazines or read about or seen at track meets and get to like see the human side of them too. So I think they're excited to see that and, and read more about them. Okay. So one, one other kind of dumb question here is you guys started this project in 2020, right? And it just came out like in April of this year. Yes. Okay. So a process and then all these interviews and then the writing, did it feel like kind of like a marathon? Was Is it harder to write a book like this or to run a marathon? 
Well, I've never run a marathon, so I can't compare it to the marathon. And I know I'm on the marathon <laughs> podcast, but um, I do see like we we joke about we both had never written a book before. It really helped having each other. Like we had a we were a team during this. Yeah. But also just as athletes, like just chipping away at something. So like we just kept working. Um, yes, it was a very long process. It actually felt very long, but also fast at the same time. It went by pretty quickly, but we just take it in chunks at a time and figure out what we needed to do next. And I can't say it was harder than running a marathon, but I do say I can see similarities in just racing and having an end goal and trying to get towards that. Yeah, I think the book is harder, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's just it's just um, de- more delayed gratification because it took mm-hmm. so much longer and you don't have full control. You work with a really big team of people, whereas, I mean, we work as a team in sport, but it's like you, your coach, maybe a physical therapist, and you plow right ahead. And this had a lot of moving parts that we, it was just more complex. So that was so new to us. But yeah, definitely we tapped into our runner skills of like, you know, you show up every day, you do your piece of the book and it stacks up to a finished project uh, eventually. So yeah. And we should tell listeners, I mean, I'm sure they already know, but Molly, you had a baby how many, how many weeks ago? We're going on week six right now. Wow. My husband is trying to get her to take a nap (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) Sleep is hard in the first, I don't know, depends on the child, but yeah, she doesn't like, doesn't like napping during the day. It seems like, so it's hard. (laughs) A lot of, we get a lot of questions um, from women about advice that we would give to, you know, women who want to run in pregnancy and beyond and Molly, you've just went through the whole experience. Sarah, I know you've got a couple of kids. Um, you know, what advice would you give to women who want running to be part of their pregnancy and motherhood journey? Sarah, go for it. Cause I asked <laughs> you for advice. <laughs> yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of advice when I was, I have an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so I knew a couple of my friends that had had babies and come back and ran professionally. Shane Culpepper was like a big influence when I was like going through that process. I was also teammates with like Kara Goucher and I followed Paula Radcliffe, some of the older women that had more upfront about what was going on, but like outside of that, you didn't hear much. And so like I knew with both Paula and Kara, they trained through the whole pregnancy and then really struggled with like some pelvic floor and hip injuries postpartum. And then Shane almost did the opposite where she, she like after four months didn't train really at all. Um, but really got after it eight weeks after pregnancy and um, let her body heal fully and didn't have any problems progressing back. And so when I went into my pregnancy, I was, I had had a bunch of injuries and had some hormonal imbalances as well. And so I was really looking at that time as like a break from running and just letting my body kind of heal and just recover and get get my both my mind and my body kind of excited about training again. And I was really excited about being a mom. So I jogged like up through like four months. And then I did a lot of walking and cross training and swimming and different things and just kind of listened to my body what what I was able to do during that time. And I had C-sections both pregnancies. So I had to wait a little bit longer as well. So around six weeks, I was able to start running again. And I worked with our physical therapist just on some pelvic floor and some basic strength and core stuff when I was coming back. And I didn't have a lot of interruptions coming back from pregnancy. My hormones balanced back out. Um, My body was like healthy and I was able to return. And I know that's not always the case for everyone, but I really do think that that during that time of pregnancy, I 
it was good for my body just to like come back. And seven months after I had my daughter, I ran the A standard for the 10K and I was coaching at the same time. And so I pushed it hard once I got back into it. But like, I really listened to my body during the pregnancy and building back from the pregnancy. Yeah, I think that's definitely key is sometimes we have like a preconceived notion how we want the pregnancy to go, you know, the delivery, like how we want to be training during that time or afterward. And I think it's so, so key that you have to listen to your body and not compare yourself to other people because some people are able to run all the way through and some people are not and that's okay. And I think sometimes it's, there's a tendency to, you know, set the bar too high and be like, I have to be out there right away after I give birth. And that can actually be, you know, detrimental to things like your pelvic floor and your joints and ligaments that still have a lot of elastin on board and your hormones need to rebalance and everything. So it's definitely more of a, like an ultra marathon than a sprint (laughs) to get through that whole process and, and come back strong afterward. Yeah, for sure. Molly, what about you? I'm not running yet. I, um, I'm at six weeks and the recommendation I'm getting from my PT is 12 weeks, which sounds mm-hmm. so long because I wasn't really doing that much running towards the end of the pregnancy either, but it just, the timeline is long. You know, I think a lot of people don't like to hear that, but you do make it back. You know, there are some women that are just running amazing and it might take 18 months to two years, uh, which is, it's long, but that's just the way we are as humans, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. having a baby is just a really big ordeal to your body and you definitely just have to be patient. So I'm hoping to cut that down a little bit, but I'm, I'm definitely inspired by watching moms like Alphine Tillamook, who's winning mm-hmm. now, you know, almost, and she is close to two years after having, or maybe a year and a half after having her daughter, um, yep. you know, Faith Kipiegan and the Diamond League is killing it. She had a baby. I think her timeline was close to two years before she was back winning like world championships again. <laughs> so you definitely take some inspiration from seeing like the best of the best do it. It just feels like a long road for sure. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad I have so many women to ask advice of. Yes, exactly. And not forgetting that recovery piece, like you pointed out, it's a big ordeal for your body to go through. And just like if you want to excel in running, you have to take that recovery. Yeah, the same thing with pregnancy for sure. Mm -hmm. Which inspires me to ask in the ranking of now things that are difficult. Molly said that writing a book was harder than running a marathon. But how about having a baby? How would that rank? (laughs) I think the baby is just, it's not really comparable. It's such a strange, surreal experience. Yeah. I feel, um, I keep telling my husband, I was like, like, I forget I'm an animal <laughs> until I have a baby. And then I'm like, wow. Like, I feel like I, sh- I could be on the discovery channel right now with like my, prote- my protective instincts and just huh. like the whole physical process, all of it. It's crazy. All the primal yeah. urges that come out. Yes. Not for sure. Yes. <laughs> I think you probably say the baby is like, an ultra marathon, honestly, because yes. like you have that child for 18, like you're constantly motherly instincts. I mean, I don't know. It probably even like, my mom still babies me like as a 40 year old. So I feel like that never ends. And once a mom, always a mom. That yeah. is so true. Yeah. Like a multi-day stage race. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the longest race. <laughs> Uh, Well, you guys did such an excellent job with this book. And I feel like if you ever get the urge to again, that you need to do one that kind of covers women in, you know, maybe like the perimenopause, menopause period, because 
you know, as you guys have pointed out that, you know, when we were younger, there wasn't as much research or information. And it seemed like a lot of the research was based on male physiology and how they responded to things. And often women were trying to do the same training and nutrition as the men, and it just wasn't working out as well. And I feel like there's getting to be more information, but as women age in the sport and, you know, many are doing it so, so well, you know, great performances in their thirties and forties. Um, that's so inspiring. So <laughs> you yeah. guys have all the contacts. You just need to come I, back in a few years. <laughs> I completely yeah. agree. They could be called how she did it again. <laughs> yes. Actually, one of my friends wrote a book that is along those lines. Um, I'll give her a plug. I just looked up the title, High Performance in Midlife and Beyond, Champion Masters, Women Runners, and Other Experts. So that's Kathy Uchschneider. And I remember talking oh. to her while we were writing the book. And I was like, you're writing our book for like the next kind of like yes. age level. So they complement each other if you guys want to buy both. <laughs> yeah. And I think Stacey Sims' book also like touches mm-hmm. on a lot of those same same issues. And um, it was kind of the first book that really talked about fueling throughout your stages and fueling and training throughout those stages and how to optimize those. So I loved that book and referenced it a lot. Well, it's been awesome. Quite a privilege to talk to you both. So if people want to find out more about you guys and about the book, where can we send them? We have a website, just howshedidatbook.com. So that's kind Perfect. of the landing page for all the info. And we have some extra interviews and cut material we post on there too. Perfect. Uh, Sarah and Molly, so great talking to you. And uh, thanks for sharing this great resource with the running community. Thank you for for having us on today. We really appreciate it. Right. Well, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Check out their book, How She Did It. And you can find out how she did it. That's right. How do you do it, Angie? (laughs) I think people are really going to enjoy this book. Um, It gives you really kind of a behind the scenes look at so many inspiring women's distance runners. A lot of these people I was familiar with, but, you know, hearing some of their stories, the challenges they've been through um, in their own words is pretty amazing. And also learning about um, some runners that I really wasn't familiar with was great. All right. So in just a moment, we want to do a short recap of this race we did in Hungary, a country we had an opportunity to go to. We weren't really planning on going there, but this opportunity came up to run as part of a relay team. It was supposed to be a four-person team. It ended up being a three-person team. And we'll tell you why in a minute. Before we do that, big thanks to our podcast sponsor, MetPro. Yes, you guys know, I've been working with the MetPro coach for quite some time, and it's been absolutely amazing. It's definitely transformed the way that I have approached my nutrition and allowed me to lose 30 pounds of unwanted fat. And after doing that, being able to get my marathon times down, qualify for Boston three times. So I can't say enough good about the MetPro experience. Um, And we also love to hear from listeners who have been using MetPro. We got a nice note from Dipti. She says, as part of my training, I raced my first 5K and I got first overall in my age group. She says, working with MetPro and now Coach Athena is making a huge difference for me. I feel super strong. Thanks MTA for introducing me to the tools and people that help me succeed as a runner. 
Yeah, by the way, we had Dipti on the podcast uh, back in January to share her story. But if you want to give MetPro a try, check them out at uh, metpro.co forward slash MTA. You can get a free consultation with one of their nutritionists. See if it's a good fit for you. Tell them that we sent you. You'll save $500 on their concierge nutrition coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. Big thanks also to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is there to give you a personalized plan to build up your endurance, boost your energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. And it all starts with getting your blood analyzed. You know, I think it's important every so often to take a look inside. You can get all this great data through a blood test. That's right. I think sometimes you know, we can wonder if the good habits that we've been implementing are making a difference. This is a perfect way to get really personalized look at the positive things that are happening in your body and also areas that maybe need to be optimized better. It's been very helpful, like Trevor says, for us just to look at the numbers and just get that very clear picture of what's going on. And Inside Tracker makes it really easy because they'll come to your house, um, I think in most places, or you can go to the lab in your local area. They'll take a sample and send it off to the scientists at Inside Tracker, and they will give you all this amazing data. That's right. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. You just have to go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. That's insidetracker.com slash MTA. Let's talk about a country that I didn't know much about, and that is Hungary. I mean, I knew they were part of the Austria-Hungarian Empire at one time, and also were behind the Iron Curtain, but had never been there, didn't know anything about the running scene uh, in Hungary. So we were invited by an academy member named Chris to be part of a four-person team uh, running around this lake called Lake Tiza. It's about an hour and a half from Budapest, uh, traveling east. So when we get to the border of Hungary, um, Hungary's part of the EU, it's like lunchtime, everyone's really hungry, so we just eat at this truck stop on the border. It's hot, there's no air conditioning. Well, it's like, okay, there's like a restaurant in the truck stop. Yeah. But yeah, there's no air conditioning, and it was just absolutely stifling inside the restaurant. (laughs) And unfortunately, our youngest son and I tend to deal with really terrible problems when we get hungry. Like, we can get physically ill like nauseous and very hangry and stuff. And so our youngest son had gotten hangry and he started feeling nauseated, just really awful. And at the beginning of the trip, he had thrown up in the car. Yes. So that was kind of like how we inaugurated the trip was we were calling it the vomit van because it (laughs) took like a week to get the smell out of the van. That was back in France. So we're like, oh no, not another replay of the vomiting. That's our story about being hungry in Hungary. Yes, yes. And we finally get back on the road and think, okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's get to Budapest. And then we get stuck in this massive traffic jam on the M1 highway. It's just a parking lot out there. And we sat for like three hours, was it? Yeah. Finally, the traffic starts moving again. So we get to Budapest later than we thought, and we were pretty exhausted. But uh, we're able to get some good sleep uh, in Budapest. The next day, we were supposed to get up and drive uh, an hour and a half out to this lake to participate in the relay with Chris and another runner named Huck. But on race morning, our four-person team was down to a three-person team. So 
Angie, what happened? Yeah, sadly. Well, I've been having just ferocious PMS like the few days before this. <laughs> Any women who have experienced that know the special hell that is to have PMS and be traveling. So anyway, um, and my period starts the day before the relay. And that night I just started feeling extremely nauseous and dizzy. And I woke up that morning and just I had to like hang on to things to get to the bathroom. I was just very unsteady. You and said it, it felt like you were on a boat. It did. I, it was just the weirdest thing. I have not experienced that before. And I knew that doing a 20-mile relay, you know, my portion was supposed to be 20 miles in the heat. That was absolutely a no-go. I, You know, I was just, I felt bad. I didn't want to let the team down. But that would have been a recipe for disaster. So I, I had to bow out. Well, it's probably a good thing that you did because it was a, a suffer fest out there. It was in the 90s. Um, it was like 93 degrees Fahrenheit when I did my half marathon. You started. I started first. First. And so yours was probably the coolest section. <laughs> I know. One of the other team members, Huck, also had a rough night. Yeah. So you guys kind of made the executive decision to only do one loop around the lake instead of two. Yep. So you're supposed to do two loops and we're like, let's just do one and we'll just get in the water and have a lake day. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like lake day better than lake day. <laughs> so we didn't get medals or anything because we didn't finish. I guess we all DNF'd. But <laughs> you got a shirt. Yeah, and we have memories and we went around the lake one time and one, one time's enough, you know, <laughs> when it's that hot outside. But it's a really neat place. Of course, Hungary is very flat, very fertile. Our youngest son, Liam, uh, the guy who was the kid who was having the problems uh, a couple days before, he's just a good sport. And he, he went with me and uh, had a good time playing in the water. And this lake, it's called Lake Tiza, is actually a man-made lake. And it's just very extensive. You can take a boat out through these like marshes. And so after the relay, that's what we did. Liam and I rented a boat and he got to drive and he was just so happy. Yeah, that, I think that made his whole week. Yeah. <laughs> He got to hold that over his brothers, right? <laughs> Being the youngest, you always got to have some sort of advantage. That's right. But I do want to play some sound bites. I actually ended up doing maybe uh, 22 or 23 kilometers, but it took me, I think, three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> I did a lot of walking. There was a point when I was like, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> but crossing the finish line, and then, of course, after I, I, I finished, uh, it was Chris's turn to start running. So he took the second leg and then Huck took the last leg. And uh, having that experience and being there with our son was definitely a, a special time. So here's some sound bites from that. Okay, going along the uh, relay race, I have about a half marathon to do. This is just a half marathon, but it's going to be challenging because of the heat feels like every endurance challenge presents its own struggle, its own unique struggle. And this, the, the heat today is, is going to be that for me. You know what? It's just a beautiful day to be out on a run in a new country, meeting some new friends. So, yeah, just good to be alive. <clears throat> All right, still dueling in the sun and uh, past 4.4 miles. So I'm on top of this dam. There's a road, grassy hill and a tree line and I'm going by all these these goats but what's cool is there's shade down there at the tree line so I just went down there and ran people were looking at me weird but it's worth it to me hey hey still slugging it out in the heat I am 9.2 miles 
Still um, going in the shade past the last uh, water stop. Dump some water on my head and fill my bottle up. This is definitely the furthest east I've ever been. And what's crazy is I drove here from Spain. I think I probably came the furthest. I noticed all the license plates have H. Uh, my plate has an E for Spain. All right, I'm just gonna keep traveling on till I uh, get my half marathon done. Some guys on scooters asked me if I was all right. Probably because I'm going so slow. It is uh, 91 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like 32 Celsius. I'm just walking, man, because it's so hot and uh, I'm feeling it. Well, I've got a beautiful view of the lake. I'm at 12.3 miles, so getting close. So even though the half marathon was tough, I'm so glad that I uh, did another half in a new country. The people in Hungary are just so friendly. And we'd really like to thank Chris and his wife, Gabby, for letting us stay at their house near the lake. Yeah, it was just perfect. So refreshing. Enjoyed drinking some of that Hungarian beer. You know, every country we go to, Angie, we got to try that, the local beer. <laughs> well, you, you definitely covered that category. <laughs> Although, interestingly enough, um, Hungary is a big wine country as well, and they produce some, some really good wine. So... I want to play a quick soundbite with Chris. He is maybe the only uh, Hungarian listener to the podcast. I don't know. There's probably others of you that listen. But um, I always love, you know, hearing people's stories and hearing about their culture. And Chris is going to teach us a couple Hungarian words. So let me play that soundbite for you. Hey, hey, I'm in Hungary at Lake Balaton with my friend Christians Manasori. Uh, he's been kind enough to host us here in Hungary. We did a little relay race together. The, the, the heat beat us up pretty bad. Uh, we'll tell you about that in a, in a second. So Chris, first of all, thanks for welcoming us here in Hungary. And um, yeah, it's just, just awesome to be here. How long have you been listening to the podcast? Yeah, I've been listening for three years now. So that's when I started. And actually then I was preparing for the last marathon so far. I will run probably more. Yeah, it was a great inspiration for me in the last three months of preparation for that marathon. And which marathon was that? Uh, that was in San Sebastian, Spain. Ooh, nice. So I know you've done the, the Budapest marathon too, right? Yeah, it's very nice. So like you get to see all the sites like the it's it's running by the Danube and you see the yeah. the parliament and and all the other sites of Budapest. So, so it's really nice. But How many people do it approximately? Uh, I think the actual marathon is about four or five thousand people. Okay. Uh, but there are also like other races like 10K, whatever. So it's all together. So like 10,000 people. Wow. And it's pretty international. I think we get yeah. like 30, 40 nations every year yeah. to come. That's cool because I think I might have been the only American at the relay race <laughs> around the <laughs> lake. Uh, I was looking at all the cars and all of them had H on the license plate. Of course, we drove here from Spain, so I don't know if people realize just how far I came to do this uh, this relay. Yeah, it's 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 great that you came, and then like even they would have thought that you you came from Spain, but you actually came from the <laughs> <I know>. US <laughs> to to run the the Lake Tissa run. Tell the folks really quick uh, the premise behind the Lake Tissa run. Yeah, it's um, a lake that if you one lap is sixty five k, which would be like what is it forty forty miles and. Uh, yeah, we were supposed to do two laps, uh, one clockwise and one counterclockwise, which makes it 130k. And uh, yeah, there are individual ultra runners who, who oh, do wow. it. 
we did the relay and then you can do the relay with a team of two to ten people so even you can split it to ten it looks like we had one of the smaller teams yeah like four is still considered almost like ultra runners so also huh. we we have this lake i don't know hunger probably is big about running around lakes but there is also hmm. another run around lake balaton and uh, Two and three men relays are like in a separate group from the four to ten, yeah, whatever, because it's still like quite a quite a lot to cover. All right, so we were out there. Angie didn't make it, so it was it was you and I and your friend Huck, a good runner, but he didn't sleep well because he was in an RV with no air conditioning and uh, a one year old and mosquitoes. So he's we decided to do one lap around the lake, which was great. So we all did just over a half marathon, but it was like thirty four degrees celsius which is like 93 fahrenheit so and none of us well i don't do well in that heat how did you do i didn't do <laughs> any good in that heat either and it was like in the morning when uh, trevor told me that angie couldn't make it like everyone was thinking okay what are we gonna do and no i think no one was gonna make the the call like everyone knew that we didn't want to do the yeah the full lap and then i said like let's let's resort to one lap it's still quite a challenge it was, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, especially in the in the heat and with no shades you can you can confirm that right Trevor? yeah no shade <laughs> so it was uh, yeah pretty demanding so what, what would you say the running community is like in hungary um you think it's a pretty small running community compared to other countries or or big is running a big thing here is how what would you say about that uh, I think it's it's catching up. I think we are always like 10, 20 years behind the U.S. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's especially with these relay runs, which is more about the like running communities and running together in a yeah. in a team. Like many companies uh, field teams for for these relays, so then it hmm. becomes a thing in the company to to run, and then you prepare together. So uh, nice. I think it's getting there, and also now. In the past, like 10 years ago, there was like just one big race organizer who, mm. who organized the races. And now we have like at least two or three big race organizers and lots of like small races everywhere. So it's getting there. And uh, so basically every weekend you, you definitely find some, some running. That's awesome. And right now, as I mentioned, we are at Lake Balaton, which is the largest lake in Central Europe. It's, it's beautiful. They call it the Hungarian Sea because, of course, Hungary is landlocked. So your English is really good. And I notice a lot of people here in Hungary have been able to speak English with me. So is that pretty common, like that you guys learn English in school? <laughs> yeah, but by now it's good. If you if you had come 10 years ago, it probably wouldn't have been mm. that uh, good. Like, you know, Hungary was a communist country. Yeah. So even I, I'm, I'm an old guy. So I had to learn Russian in primary school, wow. not English. So I had to- You're not, you're not that old, you don't look that old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm older than you, Trevor. Not just barely, maybe, but okay. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, communism only came down like in the in the eighty nine. Yeah, okay, eighty nine in yeah. Hungary. Yeah, and uh, yeah, since then, English English and German are the main languages that people learn. And uh, yeah, you actually now you in order to get a university degree, you also have to pass at least one foreign language okay. exam, and people usually take English. So it's now like quite common and we have we didn't have like in the communist era we didn't have foreigners in the country mm. now many people choose to like live in budapest or work in yeah. budapest who don't even speak hungarian and they can yeah they can get around because like people now speak english i can see why it's a beautiful city and it's budapest is, it feels really clean and really safe compared to a lot of other cities in the u.s that i've been to yeah yeah it's it's definitely safe and and it's it's beautiful with all the all the history 
Okay, so let me circle back to the, the podcast for a second. I'm always curious. So when you started listening, what was it about the podcast that was appealing to you? Yeah, so basically I just, because I was tra uh, training for that marathon, I, I wanted to find a podcast. And this was basically the first hit. And mm. I, I got hooked after the first episode. I think what I really liked about it that uh, you guys are so authentic. So everything is so natural that, that you talk about. And, and it feels like, I think after the first episode, I felt like part of the family. Oh, cool. And uh, so your podcast is, podcast is really about the community and also yeah. like breathing the shout outs and all that stuff. It's, it doesn't feel one way like a podcast could be like one way you just listen. It, it really feels like an interactive yeah. thing and being part of the, like a worldwide community. So it's like people from everywhere and it's, it's good to hear their stories, sharing their experiences and also like the runners that you get interviewed are, I, I really like those stories. Well, you were the first Hungarian runner that we've had on the podcast. So it's, it's an honor to, to be here and to talk to you. And, but yeah, it's really cool how running brings people together. And I, I do really like the team aspect that, that you guys have going on over here in Hungary with the relay teams. And uh, it just adds a special component. It's fun to get through something as a team. Oh, okay, so maybe you can help me with some Hungarian words that I heard. I would be running by and people would pass me, of course, because uh, I was going so slow. And they would say, Hoida. Yeah, Hoida. Yep. Hoida means let's go good job or keep yeah. going yeah it's keep going let's okay. go kind I of like meant, that i thought i meant you look terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah you you can interpret it as as your mood is right because yeah. you don't understand what they say no they are really like encouraging encouraging each other on the way yep. and uh, it's it's really good and and i remember one guy just coming the opposite direction he was already running the the other way, he's an ultra runner. He was a legend like 20 years ago. We had the hmm. Vienna Budapest Super Marathon, which is like 240K. Man. And he, this guy was like the, the champion for like five consecutive years. And, and even he was saying Hoira to me. Oh, and nice. I, I'm just a regular Joe running there. And yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's one of the things with, with running. Like you said, the, the community and people just encouraging each other. So hoida to all of you out there listening right now. <laughs> hoida, hoida. <laughs> okay, another strange thing that happened is I stopped at a water stop and these ladies were really nice and they, they actually gave me some ice to put in my water bottle. They're very helpful and they spoke English, you know, a little bit of English. And as I was leaving, the lady said, hello. <laughs> and I turned back and I'm like, did I forget something? Hello actually means goodbye. Hello means both hello and goodbye in Hungarian. <laughs> And the, the even funnier thing, we also have Sia, which is an equivalent of hello. So you can say for hello and also for Sia. Okay. So, so if yeah. you want to say hello to somebody, you can say Sia. And when you're leaving, you say hello. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Yeah, actually. Wow. All right. That's cool. Well, great to have you in our community and uh, as an Academy member. And, and thank you so much for, for hosting us and at your wonderful house here in Lake Balaton and inviting me to run the uh, Lake Tiza Relay. Probably my most challenging half marathon, but I'm happy <laughs> I did it. Big thanks again, Chris, for, uh, for all your great hospitality. Yeah, and thanks a lot uh, to you as well. Like, first of all, coming over and doing the relay together and also like just putting on this show for like more than 10 years now right yeah because i think it it's not only me it means a lot to a lot of us so keep doing it as long as you can please i appreciate it hoida 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 
All right. Well, Hoida, to all of you, keep going. You have what it takes. Thank you for listening to this episode. If we can answer any questions for you or get you connected with a running coach or a training plan, please reach out. We have a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. We have a growing community. We'd love to have you as part of it if you haven't officially jumped in yet. We've got about one week left of our time here in Europe. We've been to so many amazing places and met just awesome people. And uh, we'll have to update you on the the remainder of our travels on the next episode. So stay tuned. Until then, remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.